Good morning. A Bible reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time of governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing or in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Thanks, Bing, and thanks, Matt. Um, uh, I am a fair bit taller than Bing, and uh, this morning I had to... Uh, readjust the height and poor Kelly came up and it was right up under her nose so I'll be sure to try and lower it uh, for you for that. And thanks for introducing, my name is Aaron. Uh, For those who I haven't met, I think I've seen most of you guys, I come to 10.30 so this is my home Uh, so I feel very, very uh, welcome, uh, welcomed and uh, uh, you normally see me behind the keys. I do, for any of you guys that have year sevens and year eights, it has been an absolutely uh, pleasure and privilege uh, to care for uh, those and to teach them in the Word, and we look forward to doing it again for the first start of uh, this year. Uh, for those that um, uh, realised that I was going to be preaching on the topic of uh, submission this morning, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, most of you may have uh, offered to help with the crèche. And I do understand that that example only works for those that don't like working in the crèche. But um, 
Uh, let's be honest, it is a subject that we don't naturally warm to. Uh, it's not something that uh, we like to uh, consider. Uh, it's hard enough submitting to people we like, let alone submitting to people we don't like. Um, or what about submitting to those things that you think are maybe unnecessary? Uh, we have this street just down the road from our house and all the other main streets around the area are at 60 kilometres an hour. And I don't know why, but they thought it was a good idea to change this street to 50 kilometres an hour. And I'm sure they get lots of uh, people speeding uh, there, but when you hit the top of the hill, you're about 800 metres uh, before the turn-off, and when there's no cops around or you're running late for work or it's at night, this feeling wells up inside, like, oh, surely it's okay. Just to speed, you know, just to get to the corner and get back onto the, onto the freeway. There's something that, that we just don't like. If we don't think it's necessary or important, we generally don't like sticking to it. Uh, or we like to try and find those loopholes uh, in those rules, or we'd like to maybe grey out the, the black or the white uh, um, commands. I work at a hospital. I work in the intensive care unit at Flinders uh, Medical Centre. And last year, they uh, mandated for all staff to wear face masks on the way into work and in all areas within the hospital. And I know you're laughing because you've probably had to do the same thing. And uh, I tell you, I lost count the amount of times. We've all been trained how to put them on properly, by the way. But I lost count how many times I saw people not wearing them properly or not wearing them at all, because they just didn't think it was uh, necessary. But what is it that maybe you struggle submitting to? Uh, why is this even an issue for us to be talking about? Why does Paul bring it up here in Romans 13? We've been going through the book of Romans uh, over the last year or so, and uh, the book of Romans is written explaining the gospel and helping the followers of Jesus with how to live in light of the gospel. From chapter 12 onwards, uh, Paul's showing the kind of life that, that flows from the good news that Jesus came into the world to do for us what the law couldn't do. And that's namely take away our guilt and our condemnation and restore a right relationship uh, with God. And really, how should we live in light of that message. This is a message to followers of Jesus about how we should live in regards to all that God has done for us. And he has indeed done lots for us. And we saw last week, as Matt looked at, uh, in the last part of chapter 12, Paul's driving us to loving others without hypocrisy. Let me just summarise. He says, love must be sincere. Love must be genuine. We must be devoted to one another in love. We must honour one another. We must share with those in need. We must bless those who persecute you. Repay no one evil for evil. Don't be revengeful. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In other words, Paul's saying, I appeal to you on the basis of all the mercy and love that God has shown you. Love others and love your enemies like that. Or as 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, 
If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. In the very last verse before chapter 13, in verses 21, he says, Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I just want you to think about the immediate readers here for a minute. Many in the church in Rome probably have a bad taste in their mouth from the Emperor Claudius, who threw the Jews out of Rome. And the current emperor is Nero. And Nero, a bit later on, after this letter is written, is going to throw Christians to the light, throw Christians to the lions. And I can imagine that's not the sort of guy you're going to want to uh, warm up to uh, either. And so the thought of rebellion, revenge, maybe repaying evil, not submission or love, would have been on their minds. But interestingly, this is exactly where Paul takes it and exactly where he wants to take us as well. So if you have your Bibles there, or if you've got your piece of paper that was in your slip, or your phones, or your iPads, or maybe you've memorised chapter 13, I'm happy for you to, uh, to just listen along. Uh, turn to uh, uh, verses 1, Romans 13, verse 1, he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. It's pretty conclusive, pretty conclusive. Everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And let's be honest, when I first read this, I would like to have inserted, let everyone be subject to almost all governing authorities or most governing authorities. But he actually solidifies that the point here he wants to get across is actually submission. Have a look at verses five. He says, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. And rather than give exceptions here, he gives us four confirming reasons. Have a look at the rest of verses 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Well, why? Because, or for, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. We submit because God put them there. Whether they're good or they're bad, whether a king has appointed his son to rule, whether a tribal chief has come in and defeated his rivals, or maybe people have voted for this particular candidate, what's clear is that all governing authority are only there because God has put them there. Can you remember what Jesus said to Pilate after Pilate frustratingly said, I've got the power to free you or crucify you. What are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus looks at him and says, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Well, what if I don't submit? Have a look at the second part of verses 2. He says, or 2, Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Rebellion against authority is actually rebellion against God. Or to put it positively, submission to authority is really submission to God himself. The second reason that he says if we don't sub submit, punishment comes. Have a look at the second part of verses 2. He says, rebelling against authority what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Verses 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what's right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Yeah, I would like to be. Well, do what is right and you'll be commended. 
If you keep to the speed limit, then you have nothing to worry about when you drive past that speed camera. And I know we all, guilt, I know we all look down at the speed when we drive past that speed limit. It's our conscience. A third reason why we should submit is because the authorities are actually there for your good. And they're there for the good of the community. Have a look at verses 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. They're servants acting out God's will for your good. The point being stressed here is that God puts governments in place and he works through them and behind them for our good. And we should do our best to live under them. It's good that there is government rather than anarchy. Wouldn't you agree? Can you imagine everyone doing what was right in their own eyes and nothing restraining them? Can you imagine if everyone thought that they had the prerogative to bear the sword themselves? What absolute chaos. Civil authority is a great gift of common grace to the world. And it's good for us. And we should give thanks for the restraint on evil that government brings. When we get that speeding fine, we should be thankful that there's a speed limit that stops others from speeding into us. Look at verses 6. He says, This is why you pay taxes for the authorities of God's servants who give their full time to governing. The link to 12.19 is quite clear. Don't be revengeful, but you submit yourselves and trust in God to work justice through the government for your good. And I was reminded of here this morning, and this is going off my notes, and I know Matt always says, never leave your notes, but, but you know, we should be praying for our governments, praying that they actually do what God wants them to do more than we, than we, we do. The fourth reason in verses 5 he says, therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. The fourth reason we should submit is because of our conscience. We looked at this previously, and I think it was back last year. But in Romans chapter 2, he, he talks about the law of God being written upon our hearts and our conscience bearing witness to the right thing to do. You know what is right, so don't go against that knowledge. Well, you might ask, well, what does submission look like? That would be a pretty good question. And the Apostle Paul gives the church here quite a specific example that's going to probably get to, their, get to the heart for them. Have a look at verses 7. He says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect, if honour, then honour. Why does he use this as an example of submission? The reason he uses this is because this was a question that was on many people's lips that wanted to rebel against Rome. Rome imposed, uh, through its taxes, a heavy financial burden for its army, its road system, its courts, it's temples to Roman gods. And I'm pretty sure the emperor took his fair cut for his own personal wealth as well. And if you remember, 
the Pharisees came up to Jesus and they wanted to ask him this question and they were, they were trying to give him a moral dilemma here. What's Jesus going to say? What's the right thing to do? And the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? I mean, just think about it. Look what Caesar does with all the money. Is that right? And Jesus says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. In other words, even if you don't think they deserve it, pay your taxes. Or in this case, submit to authority if there are people in authority. Well, what about us? Well, keep the dog on the lead in this area. No parking on the grass near the memorial site behind me. Only recycled goods in the recycle bin. Seatbelt fastened on all passengers when in the car. One person per two square metres. Masks worn properly when in the hospitals. No overtaking in the car on double lines, even if you're travelling in New Zealand behind that really slow camper van and you can't see anyone on the horizon. Um, I don't think I did that, did I, Susanna? No. But this is what submission looks like. And many of us are thinking, and I know we're thinking this because of some of the questions that we're going to look at uh, answer after, but many of us are thinking, what are the exceptions? That's That's a valid question and a very important question for all of us. Uh, to consider because we, that there is a biblical precedent of men and women standing up to the authorities and saying we're going to obey God rather than men. If you think in the Old Testament, you think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they stood up to the king who said I want you to bow down to my image and worship. They said no and God honoured that. If you think in the New Testament about the apostles who stood up and they were commanded not to preach the gospel. And they stood up and they preached the gospel. And God honoured that. So it's pretty clear that we should obey God rather than man. But um, the text that we're looking at here this morning doesn't drive us towards exceptions. Because that's not really the point or the emphasis that he wants to look at. The very idea that God's given authority uh, to the governments and that it's been delegated and that they're actually servants of God, means that they have a responsibility before God. So it's quite clear we obey God, not man. But the point he wants to emphasise here is submission. And rather taking specific situations, he's speaking generally here. The overall sentiment of this passage is that our default position towards authority should be one of submission. Our first response should be one of humble submission, not defiant opposition. Or as Paul said in the previous chapter, and Matt looked at last week, if possible, live at peace with everyone. I think he means, if possible, submit. Paul isn't intending to nut out moral decisions here, like should we obey God or the government? But it's more about our general attitude to authority and what sort of people are we putting on display to the world? Paul is saying that the default position of every Christian should be one of submission. But is it enough to just say submit, pay your taxes, um, give respect and honour? Or is there something far more pressing for us to focus on? And I'm glad the morning 
group asked, and I'm glad that you guys are asking as well, because we're going to answer it. Have a look at verses 8. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Paul transitions in this section to a much higher demand on Christians than just submission and honour to authorities. And it's namely love for one another. The one debt that you should be constantly paying out is love. It's like he wants to come back to the theme in chapter 12 that he had such a fast running start on and he wants to encase this very sensitive matter of submission in love. It's like he wants to bubble wrap submission in the context of love. And more than that, he wants to supersede the baseline command of submission with something far more important and something far more powerful and life-changing. This isn't the first time Paul's done this. In the book of Ephesians, uh, you can see Paul says right off at the start, he says, walk in love. Right before he says, submit one to another. And in Corinthians, he says, let all that you do be done in love. And even last chapter we looked at, he says, be devoted to one another in love. But what's so important about love in the context of submission, paying taxes, respect, revenue, honour, or let's say any command for that matter? We'll have a look, continue reading with me in verses 8. He says, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. All commandments in in regards to relationships with others, including submission, are fulfilled when we have love for each other. Why is this? Because love does no harm to a neighbour. Where love prevails, the things that the law prohibits do not occur. And the things that the law prescribes are carried out. Love must be the catalyst for all that we do because loving your neighbour may drive you to show them a heart of obedience to God, not reckless anarchy against the government. Or It might be love for your neighbour. That actually drives you to stand up to the governing authorities out of obedience to God. But if it's out of love, it won't be out of self-interest. If it's out of love, it won't be out of self-interest. Submission to the government must be an extension of love to all human beings because it's more important that others see that I love them than about me getting my rights. And in this context, when you submit to the government out of love, you're putting on display an attitude that says Christ must increase and I must decrease. It's God's agenda, not mine. It's more about Christ than about me having my rights. Paul's saying that our default position to the government should be submission. And not just submission, but submission out of love. And when we submit out of love... We're putting on display the great love and mercy that God has undeservedly given us. Because Christ first loved us undeservedly, we can deny ourselves and out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another 
including the government. What we're talking about here cuts right to the heart of the Christian message, doesn't it? Maybe you're just checking out who Jesus is here today. And you're thinking, what is all this talk about? Well, the reason why Christians do anything in life should be in response to the fact that God loves us first. For those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, well, God wants us to pursue godliness this way. It's our true and proper worship. But what's the urgency to live like this? Why is this even important for us? Was Romans 12, 1 to 2 looks back to the mercies of God. Romans 11 to 14 is going to drive our thoughts forward to the hope of redemption. Have a look at verses 11. He says, and do this. Well, let's just stop there for a minute. Do what, Paul? I think he means everything that we saw in chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Bless those who persecute you. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Submit to the government. Don't stop loving each other and do all this. Love like this because you know the time. The moment that Jesus returns to set everything right, including the final stage of our redemption or our glorification, has never been closer. Have a look what he continues saying. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We're running out of time, so love like there's no tomorrow. The sun is about to rise and it's time to get to work. Wake up from your spiritual slumber and engage in real Christian living. The Christian who is passive, uninvolved and indifferent is essentially asleep. Have a look at verses 12 to 13. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. People who live with an eternal perspective don't live in the dark like most people who are consumed with the love of self, but actively pursue Christ-like behaviour. How we live, our speech, and what we display to the world is really important. Which is why he says in verses 14, have a look. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He's not talking about justification here. We know we're clothed positionally in Christ. But this is a call to live as if we are clothed in him. For instance, if you're dressed to be in front of some sort of dignitary and, and maybe it's Cam uh, for the 10.30 service that you're coming to meet and uh, you think, well, I'll dress up in a suit and tie for him and look really smart and, or maybe, uh, maybe you want to wear that really nice dress that you've bought, uh, you're, you're wearing that because you're going to act a certain way. For instance, you're not going to go 
uh, don all that gear and then go run on the treadmill at the gym. That's just not the fitting attire, right? His point here is that putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is not gratifying the desires of our sinful nature, but becoming like Jesus in our actions, our attitudes, and our speech. We're supposed to remember who we're wearing, what he did for us, and what he wanted for us, and what it cost him. And when we wear the Lord Jesus Christ to become like Jesus in his righteousness, we do that so we can become effective witnesses to the truth of the gospel while we still have time. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ to reflect him to others. Let me ask you this. Can people see Jesus in your attitudes, in your actions, and in your speech? What about this? Does the life that you live cause people to turn to Jesus? I've asked for this scripture passage to be put up on the, um, on the wall. And we're sort of going to close on this sort of thought. From 1 Peter 2.11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We should be living in such a way within society that people are drawn to glorify God and reasons to criticise a life devoted to Christ are gone. It's worthwhile, don't you think, for all of us just to stop and think about the decisions that we make and what message are we displaying through those decisions? You can do the same thing twice, but portray two very different messages. Let it be love that people see, because then they will see Christ. What Paul is saying in Romans 13 is this. In everything you do, in all your attitudes to the state in which you live, the society in which you're a part of, the people that you interact with, including the government, let it come from a heart of love in response to the gospel, the mercies of God. And remember where you're heading, that the time is short and who you are displaying to the world. Or, as I've liked to sum it up, love like there's no tomorrow. Let's pray. Thanks. God, we're just thankful for this time around your word. And God, I just ask that, although it's somewhat a sensitive topic, that you will just be gracious and merciful. God, you've taught me. I pray that all of us can learn to grow, to love Jesus more and show that love to the world in all the things that we do. In your name, amen.